Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. I'm getting some fantastic feedback about the podcast and the fascinating guests I've spoken to. It's great to hear that you're enjoying it, and it would be wonderful if you could write a little review of it on Apple Podcasts, as not only does that please the algorithms, but it also looks great for any possible future guests I contact, as it shows that people are listening. As ever, subscribing to and rating the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on is much appreciated, as that encourages the algorithms to push it to more new listeners. Spreading the word by the traditional methods of... uh, telling people about it, is also much appreciated. Thank you. You can find me and learn more about the projects I'm working on at robertlaymusic.co.uk and I'm on social media as Robert Lane Music. Here's my conversation with comedy writer Natalie Antonia. Hi Natalie, how are you? I'm excellent, how are you? I'm alright, enjoying the sunshine from inside, but, you know, enjoying it through a window. Uh, Yeah, whereabouts are you at the moment? I'm in a lovely town called Arundel, uh, which has a beautiful castle, um, and it's in the countryside, about an hour and a half south of London. Fantastic. And is that your your base all the time? Because you have spent some time in LA, I think, as well. This is my base for now. Um, I did try living in London, but I didn't like it. Um, and I'm a Sussex girl originally, so I basically came back to where I'm from. It wasn't necessarily the city that didn't make it work. I think just getting older and just needing and wanting different things. Um, yeah. I think living in L.A., I lived in Ven- at Venice Beach. In Venice Beach? Yeah, in Venice Beach, mm-hmm. not at Venice Beach. So I kind of it lived like a bit more. Yeah. And um, for me, London... Um, was just too busy for me and I think in the midst of the winter it was just a bit too much so when I moved back to the UK I just decided am I allowed to swear I can't, I can't yeah yeah no okay problem. cool okay uh <laughs> so I just thought fuck it I'm gonna go back to Sussex I love it here mm-hmm. great and in terms of the the sort of work and the creativity then how different was life in LA you know creating stuff and getting things happening and getting things made that's such a great question I uh, god i haven't really thought about that for a while <laughs> so so how different was it is that the question yeah um i don't think it's that different in the sense that it's a very kind of collaborative world there and i was just really fortunate in the sense that um just with the improv classes that I did and the comedy sort of writing classes that I did, I met some really good people. Yeah. And so I I surrounded myself with quite a sort of good group of lads, if you will, that um, not lads as in boys, just my group. And we kind of just hit it off. So um, I would say that it's similar in that sense, like, when I lived in London for the time that I did, I did try living there. I kind of immersed myself in the improv world. So I kind of had that similar kind of setup. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I will absolutely say that Los Angeles is just a whole different beast to London. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that LA is necessarily harder, even though you would think that's the case. Um, I'd say in some ways London's much tougher. Um, but in terms of like putting things together, like podcasts or shows and stuff like that, I'd say mm. it's quite similar. But LA is um, is a different beast as well. Um, you know, you can be walking down the street and see Leonardo DiCaprio. You're probably not going to see Leonardo DiCaprio in mm-hmm. Soho. You might, but not probably not. Mm. And in terms of the improv then, because that's the world that I'm involved in a little bit as well, so I've done some improv shows in London, never in LA. How different are audiences and other improvisers to work with? I think it's very it's a lot tougher in LA for sure. There's a expectation that must be met in Los Angeles. Like you have to you have to kind of you you have to be good. It's very hard to get slots in LA. Mm. So um I I was part of a team um that was just again people that were on it were well sort of kind of established. Mm-hmm. So we would get slots and then we had like an indie group. The indie scene is huge in LA. So you've got like the UCB troops, you've got the second city, you've got the, you had the IO obviously. Yeah. Brownlands is more kind of character stuff. It's kind of a different world. It's an amazing world, but it's a different one. Uh, it's not so much long form and it's just extremely competitive. I mean, it's, it's, it really is. And to get on a Harold team over in Los Angeles, like scoring a TV show, it's mm. just the competition's insane. Um, and I would say the expectation for good improv is a lot higher. And, um, but yeah, you, you, the rooms are full there. Right. You know, you won't, you won't do like a show to your aunt Jess <sighs> and you, and her dog in London as you do there. But, uh, in LA you'll get full rooms. Um, and you, yeah, quite a good, yeah. It's, it's, it's like London, but on steroids. Mm, that's interesting. Improv steroids. And mm. in, I guess there's a lot of people doing that in the UK as well. The improv but it's it's quite a supportive circuit I've found. Um, but then, as you've indicated, quite a struggle at points to get audiences interested in it. Whereas it sounds like it's possibly the way around in LA, which is interesting. It oh yeah, like with UCB, which uh, before this all happened, you know, was was without a doubt the most popular uh, place to go and see a show. And the mm. line, the queue would be down halfway down the street. Uh, you'd be waiting there for 45 minutes before you got into one of four of the shows that were showing that night. Um, and they were just some of the best improvisers you've ever seen. Um, here, I don't think they have that, like, they don't have that reputation yet. Here it's just, you know, I don't know, they just think, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of bad improv here, that's why as well. But mm. there's also a lot of great improv, as I'm sure you know. Mm. And yeah, I think with LA, it's sort of um, it's attached to the idea that a, a great number of their uh, comedians and performers in TV have come through that route, haven't they? Which perhaps we have a little bit less here, or less obviously. I think so. Yeah, I think like most of it is down to the fact that the conversion rate is pretty high if you're like on a big team in Los Angeles or New York or Chicago. Mm. I guess more so LA to be honest with you but I think the conversion rate of getting on a TV show is pretty high so um that association with being good at improv means you're good at you'll be good at comedy mm. and therefore good on a sitcom uh very much so yeah my um 
most people who are on sitcoms have had without a doubt some kind of improv training or character training or something like that yeah interesting could you give us then a little bit of a kind of potted history of of your um your experience really and how you got into the position that you're in at the moment in terms of writing stuff so writing or like improv or both Uh, whatever Yeah. yeah all of it's great Okay, cool. Well, I, um, you know, I, I come from a background of acting. So I, I actually did a lot of acting. That was where I kind of started. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I've said this before in other podcasts, but I never truly loved it. Um, I've just, I never, I don't know, I just never was, I felt like a lot of it was that people had told me I would be good or I was good mm. or I was in a play and so I should be. And I did these plays and people were like, oh, you're so great. Although I just think it was lip service. I don't think I was that great. And because of that encouragement, as you do, um, I packed my bags. I was living in Australia at the time, long story short, but my parents moved to Australia when I was 16. Mm-hmm. And I moved to Los Angeles when I was just turned 22 on my own one-way ticket with a bloody uh yeah 300 bucks (laughs) and um I wanted to go and be like a famous actor that's that's what I wanted Mm -hmm. and I'm totally okay with admitting that now because I'm so not interested in being famous at all now but I just wanted to be like you know the Julia Roberts the Hilary Swank you know the Natalie Portman that's what I wanted and it didn't take me long to realize and I worked out there in tv and film and I made a living for a little bit but I never loved it I just didn't love it I just was I don't know I just had a really bad relationship with it in the end um and then I discovered improv Mm. and I've never looked back I've never looked back I discovered improv comedy and I guess the umbrella is comedy and improv's one of them and I studied, I went to a second city, I studied sketch. I then started writing sketches, shooting sketches and got an agent, got a manager and um, and just kind of did improv. I was absolutely terrible at it. Um, my British humour did not translate when oh, I first okay. started doing, I first started doing improv classes at UCB and I was so in love with the the teacher um I was uh-huh. obsessed with him I, I was single at the time but I was obsessed with him and I wanted him to think that I was so good and I just wasn't good and then um I think I failed I think I passed the level one and then I think I failed level two mm. and it was because I was just trying so hard I was desperate to be good I was just desperate and um I just was terrible and I would try to be funny and I would try like to make people laugh and Mm. as I'm sure you know improv is the exact opposite to that Mm. you don't try to make people laugh at all I mean that's that's like the danger zone um and then I like I think uh, you know that is one of the keys to you know success is you you've got to just keep going and getting up but you've also got to know what you've you've got to change and uh, I just one day woke up and I was like sod it like just listen to the teacher go by the rules and do Mm. it and I did and I found a team and uh I got better 
I got better and better. I wasn't great, but I was better listener. I was a better improviser. And we did gigs all over LA, downtown LA, Silver Lake, Los, yeah, like just all over Los Angeles. And then I had a writing partner at the time and we were writing sketches and producing sketches and, you know, Funny or Die, YouTube, Facebook mm. and um, writing TV pilots. And things were, you know, good, um, really good. I loved it. That's the world I wanted to be in. And then I, um, I had this thing that I always wanted to pursue British comedy mm-hmm. And so um, I met a British guy and I had always wanted to do film school. And so I combined those two and I came back and I enrolled in the National TV and Film School. And I did the writing and producing comedy um, in London. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of meshed everything I had done in L.A. So I kind of did it the other way around, really. <laughs> um, I kind of brought what I had learned in L.A. with improv and sketch and writing. And I immersed into school here, met another kind of person that I'm working with. I work with now, uh, got on a Harold team and spent years, I think, three and a half years. I did over like 200 Harold shows wow. and kind of built my family here. And um, and that's it. So now I have an agent here, have an agent there. And we kind of just working together to one day mm-hmm. get a sitcom made. Well, there's a couple of things to pick up from there. I definitely want to come back to getting the sitcom made. But just coming back to this, uh, coming here into the UK and kind of going to school again with what sounds yeah. like quite an amount of experience behind you already. I know that it's mm-hmm. it's quite easy for people to fall into this horrible trap of thinking, what can anyone teach me? I've done this, I've done that already. Did you have those? I mean, obviously you enrolled, so you yeah. didn't. But, but how Absolutely. was that being a student again? Absolutely. Um that's one of the biggest lessons that I've, um, you know, one of the biggest lessons there for me was that actually you you have to accept that maybe you are not that great. Hmm. Um, and actually, it's a great question because I don't know that I learned that much about comedy in this very, very expensive course I will add. Um, I don't know that I did, and I say very expensive, not because I could afford it. I could not afford it, and I'm, sure. I'm in debt. I'm still paying for it. So, um, but but it was worth every penny. But um, for me, and that is because I didn't learn much about comedy. I learned a little bit, but what I learned more than anything, which is the only thing you need, other than a little bit of talent, is uh to just keep going and mm. not take the rejections personally mm. so this is what i learned in film school or not film school i guess it's like screenwriting whatever is that really uh, what i learned was because the teacher was so um harsh and so not negative but cynical mm. and that was the greatest lesson i took away from it is that we had to churn out so much work. And I think when you get to a certain age and you've been doing it for a long time, um, you get really precious with your work and you get like, take all the rejections so personally. Mm. And look, I make out that LA was wonderful. It was in some ways, but it, it, my confidence definitely had taken a massive hit. Um, Cause Los Angeles is like I said at the beginning, like it's a whole different beast. The rejection is, is like no other over there. Um, I mean, it's just relentless, but like, 
um you know I was so lucky over that I had mentors I had people which I, I you've probably seen me tweet about like I've I'm, I've been very fortunate in the circle that I I don't I fell into and that people have given me great advice and one of the best bits of advice is that you just have to keep going and you have to just keep getting up and so yeah it was tough to go back to school and learn something that I felt I knew a lot about Mm. but I needed that network I needed those people and I needed those deadlines and ever since I finished that course I've never looked back that's interesting and just the pure amount of stuff that you have to get through and put out there um it's that thing of you got to get all the not so good ideas out do you sign up to that idea you've got to get all the not so good ideas out the way or the things that haven't got legs have got to got to go first I guess first of all yeah I I think the first thing I'll say is that I'm not necessarily saying that people I'm not endorsing that people should go back to school like and Mm. that's not at all for me I needed to do it because I needed my circle I needed um I needed that consistency I needed that like anchor but I actually don't think that the school was the answer for me. It was just that the lesson that happened to come from it was major, like it was just so valuable. Mm. But yeah, I do think you need to get a lot of ideas out because a lot of your ideas are shit. Mm. Um, And a lot of them don't have legs, like not being funny, but they don't like 90% of them don't have legs for one reason or another. So I definitely do subscribe to the fact that you have to write and get your rubbish out of the way um really focus on one and not be so precious about it Mm. and I think I was so precious about it in Los Angeles like my agent would read my script and be like I don't like the characters and I would cry for five days and never even look at the script ever again Mm. (laughs) yeah I know it's because it's hard like you've put so much work into that already and there's this point where you feel like well I've finished that now but of course you haven't you've finished a draft or you've finished a, a sketch of it as far as anybody else is concerned and everyone has an opinion and everyone everyone will tell you a different thing. And I listened to everyone. Yeah. And it was only a few years ago when I was like, well, you can listen to some people, um, but you can't listen to everyone. But the no matter what you do, above everything, you have to just keep getting up. Mm-hmm. And you have to just write another script. And then you have to push that. And then you have to write another script. Like that, that, that is it's a horrible it's a horrible process um but I think it, it, you can't get precious with your work and that's what I learned through school is that you would do I would spend two months on a radio sitcom and then I think it was going to be the next you know uh whatever the radio awards are I can't mm. even remember what the radio but it was going to win the next and it's like no it, it's funny but it has flaws and then you would change that and and then your mentor would be like, mm, I'm not sure. And then I wouldn't be sure. And then and then you move on and it's OK. Mm. You can shelve things. And I think not putting so much importance on every single script is 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 key. I think a danger that I've a lot of people I've spoken to for this have encountered is this idea of your success as a person and everything being tied up in whatever it is you're trying to do. So musicians who... If, if a record doesn't sell particularly well, they're a failure. And I guess that's the, you know, you can fall into that for a writer as well. If that particular idea doesn't go anywhere or doesn't have the success that you were, you were pinning on it, then you're a failure. But, but you still made something happen, which is a success in itself, isn't it? Yeah, there's, there's no, and there's no destination with writing that mm. you never, you never reach a destination. 
the journey is actually what the success is. I know that sounds really freaking cheesy, um, but getting better and aiming to be the best that you can be is actually the success. The winning the awards and getting paid the money is, is not that I know any of it. I have won one award, um, but I'm saying that, you know, all of those things are fantastic and they give you validation yeah. uh, and they give you energy to to get up in the morning. But inevitably, um, I think if you place your success or you place if you measure how you feel about who you are as an artist on awards and money, mm. like you will always be miserable. That's what I that's what I think. I think that you actually have to place your you have to measure uh, who you are as an artist based on are you doing the work? Uh, that's what I genuinely think. You've got to do the work. That is really what you should be measuring your success on. Um, so if you're not doing the work, actually, yeah, you are not doing it. In this instance right now with coronavirus, like you have that excuse. Of course you do. But it, it, you do have to do the work. And that's why like, I do genuinely get a lot of messages at the moment from people that ask me, like, how do I become a writer? And I tell them, like, I write back to every single person and I say, why don't you write something and I'll read it. And I'm telling mm. you right now, out of 20 people that I've told, not one person has written back something. Not one? Not one person. No, they've said I'm going to do it and then they haven't done it. Okay. So they email me and they say, I really want to be a writer. And I say, that's amazing. You have to write something. That is honestly the only answer. Mm-hmm. And not one of them have done it yet. Fasc- that is really fascinating. It's, so I'm just saying it's 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 a weird time, but still you've got to write. Yeah, and <laughs> and the other point of view is as soon as you do write something, even if it is crap, you are a writer, <laughs> whether That's or not brilliant. whether That's or not brilliant. yeah whether or not anyone else has any interest in it is a different thing. But you have you've done something, you've made a thing. Hundred percent. Like I much admire the person, uh, the people that inspire me the most are the people that get up and do it. Mm. And the people that write, uh, it is going to be rubbish. It's going to be painful. Mm. Anything, musical instrument, anything like that, any singer. Obviously, you have that argument about natural talent, and I do believe in that. But I do genuinely believe that, you know, if you write, then every word that you write is every time that you're getting better. Mm -hmm. And nobody was born like a brilliant writer or a brilliant musician. They might have talent, but you there's more people out there with less talent who have worked harder that are successful quote unquote mm-hmm. than people that are really talented that don't do the work that's it you got to show up so in terms of that then what do you keep writing hours you know you're doing a nine to one on a thursday oh, no, I'm, day gonna or what? Com- I'm gonna completely contradict myself here <laughs> i have no i do such- fuck all yeah I do nothing. I'm not a writer. Um, I do not have a writing schedule and I do not at all have a writing schedule. I'm not disciplined in any way, in any shape or form. However, I do write every day. Okay. So so whether it's seven in the morning, 11, four, I will write something. I will write jokes and I will write I'm trying to write articles. I want to get more articles in like the New Yorker and stuff like that. Um, And so I have like, and I have a TV show that I'm rewriting. So I have two TV shows that I'm rewriting. Mm -hmm. So because I have people that are actually asking for those rewrites, it's a lot easier. You have to do it. 
you have to do it. But no, I have no such structure. And if I sat here and told people to have one, I would be the biggest hypocrite on the planet. <laughs> and um, you're, you're working on more than one project at a time. I always find that interesting to talk to writers about because I find that some can't do that and they want to just be focused on one thing. Others enjoy oh, it's awful. having different yeah, projects on the go. It's horrible, yeah. I, I think a writer's dream is just to write on one thing. Um, and I think if we all had our way it would be just to focus on one thing because mm. I can't speak for all of us, but um, I just really struggle to shift my mindset from like the medium, like TV medium to like radio. Um, so this is why I decided to um, focus just on comedy. I don't write anything to do with mo- uh, drama. I don't write any films or anything like that. I just do TV, radio and jokes and sketches. So I just do comedy, but um I actually personally, if you're asking for my personal opinion, Mm. I do think that the more you streamline your focus to one or two projects, the better you are. But I do realize that a lot of people disagree with that. Um, But just from personal experience and watching people, I have found that have the less projects you have, the better they are. That's what I found. Mm. Just because you're spread less thin over different things, I guess. Yeah, and I just think the way the brain works, maybe for writers or creative people, mm. we put so much energy and effort into something. I think if you divide that, you're you literally just not focused, so you can't. Yeah, that's just my opinion. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I'm having a thing at the moment where I'm working on quite diverse things all at the same time, which I know is probably not a brilliant idea, but I'm just I'm in one of those points at the moment where I just have a sort of uh, just have a rocket up my ass to do those different things. So like trying to yeah. record interviews and edit a podcast at the same time as writing new songs and playing online gigs and then thinking about trying to write a short story, you know, all of that at the same time is kind of crazy really. But if ever there was a time to try a few different projects, I guess it's now. I think so. And I think a lot of what I'm saying really goes out the window at the moment, but um, I think just in general, but um, I I just found personally the moment that I focused was when my whole life, like everything changed. Mm. When I was like, I don't want to do anything to do with drama, I'm just doing comedy. And I only want to do jokes and sketches for the six months. And then when I was like, I'm going to focus on my TV show, it was when I got uh, offered an option. And so I I have found for me that works and I guarantee it would work for maybe 40% of the people Mm. maybe other 60% are really good at juggling I do think it depends on how the brain works yeah and I've heard people talk about what you've kind of mentioned there that as soon as you you sort of set yourself the task of I'm going to achieve this but I don't know how so getting the option on the, the script or whatever I don't know how that came about, whether you pursued it in some degree. It's that thing of hearing, did, hear, yeah. hearing your name in a crowd, isn't it? You could hear thousands of names, but if someone says your name, your brain kind of tunes in on that. So if you've got your mindset on a certain um, project or a certain goal, perhaps you're just more attuned to the opportunities that come up for it. I don't know. I I think so. You know, I, I, for me, I think that confusion is the enemy. Mm-hmm. And um, I think if somebody's confused by what you do or the message that you're doing or the area you work in, I think you're less likely to be picked up on. Like for me, I the last four jobs that I've got have been purely through writing jokes on Twitter. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's because that's all I do on Twitter. I, I write the odd thing every now and then, but it's because people were people saw that I write jokes. So I was hired to write jokes. The last four jobs I've had have been through Twitter. That's yeah, interesting because and then people know on your Twitter Twitter feed that that's what they're going to get, and they're not going to be. Yeah, I think well with Twitter, I think it's interesting with Twitter. I just don't think that I'm I'm not trying to be anything. I think I'm I'm not anything else on there. I'm not I'm not a ballerina as well as a chef, mm-hmm. um, as well as a, an improviser. And I'm not saying any of that's wrong. I'm not saying mm-hmm. any of that's wrong. I think that's amazing when people do stuff like that. But for me, I found that when I streamlined that focus and made it clear um, to the universe what I do it it's a lot clearer for other people to go oh Natalie does that that's Natalie's thing mm-hmm. and then with tv stuff I write it <laughs> ridiculously dark stuff like that's what I'm known for um it's very dark and edgy and so I'm known for that um not known for it but my agent and stuff like that that's they know I write that kind of stuff um but I, I'm a huge advocate for me. If I were to have mentees that I was mentoring, I would mm. say pick a thing and do that excellent, like do be excellent at that one thing and then do something else. Um, that's what I would say. If I was say, if someone said, how do I be a successful writer? That's what I would say. Can you tell us a bit about some of these recent jobs that you've had then, the writing jobs? Yeah, of course I can. So I think in the last 18 months, so I, um, so as a writer, I write jokes, so topical jokes. So um, I've written, so I don't know what, what kind of people will be listening. So, but um, I guess I'll just, yeah, Radio 4. So working on Radio 4, for, so I've, I've worked on two different shows um, as a joke writer. So I write topical jokes. And I've been, so you go into the BBC and you work with a writing team and it's amazing and it's high pressured and it's really cool. And you get to meet all the people that are working on the show. Mm-hmm. So I've done that a couple of times for the same show. And then I have another BBC TV show um, that is an open submission that I haven't submitted to this series. But last series I worked on um for a little bit writing jokes and I was about to write for have I got news for you just ah, before cool. this thing happened uh-huh. um, but that's been postponed to when the studio doors because uh, now their writing team are working remotely and it was my first gig with them so yeah. um, that's been postponed and yeah so that job have I got news for you was really indirectly through Twitter as well like I think the producer saw some of my work and yeah just developing a two tv shows one um working with a production company in in the UK mm-hmm. and um it had previously been optioned by another production company but uh didn't work out unfortunately and so now it's I'm working with another production company on it and I uh, have my writing partner who is amazing and we're developing a pilot based on a short that we wrote. Does that is that enough information? Yeah, that's fantastic. All I mean any one of those would sound like quite fertile ground for for chatting about. <laughs> um those you can, we can chat about any of them, yeah. Uh, okay, those writers rooms then for the BBC. 
that mm-hmm. would sound like it's probably a fairly intimidating situation to be in for the first time or not. Mm-hmm. How is that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's terrifying. I mean, um, yeah, I guess that's where your improv can really help you oh. because when you've done 200 improv shows and hundred of them have been to an audience of two people who are looking at their phone, <laughs> you get used to like you get, you grow that whatever they call thick skin or mm. whatever you grow, you get used to like people just ignoring you. And um, I don't know, you just get used to this. You get used to nerves, I guess. Mm. And then you get used to, not being told you're brilliant after (laughs) traveling two hours for an improv show. Yeah. And then I think that, and then doing the NFTS, which was the comedy writing um, and, and spending three weeks on a script only to be told like it's, it's rubbish or the characters aren't likable, which, Hey, I disagree, disagreed with sometimes, but sometimes he was right. Sometimes they were right. Mm. You know, you would read out your stuff in, in, in class and you'd find out very quickly whether it was funny or not. Yeah. And so that kind of gives you that thick skin. So the first time I did the writer's room, I was so nervous. Um, and, um, they couldn't have been any kinder to me and any more supportive that if they'd tried, um, I've been in a few different writer's rooms and, um, for a few different shows, they all have a different energy. Um, it isn't like you would think it isn't like how they portray it in TV shows and stuff like that, Mm. where people are like, come on, come on, come on. Or, (laughs) or it's, you know, it, it's, it's a lot more relaxed. I say that the, the, the subtext is you better bloody bring it. Um, but I think above that, I think people are just trying to create relationships and you're in the room because they know you can do it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, but do not get me wrong. It was the scariest morning in my life the first time. And then I think when I worked for the news quiz, which is the radio four show with yeah. Nish, um, that none of them knew it was my first time working for the news quiz. And so, um, I had to act like I just knew what I was doing. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and I think the producer didn't even know because the other producer had linked me up and, I just assumed the position as, as they say, like I assumed the position as someone that deserved to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I was shitting myself and I just had to have confidence that I deserved to be there. Um, and yeah, I had to write like 80 jokes per day. Wow. And, uh, only one got in, I think only one got on the script. Well, that's a lesson in itself and just sort of turnover. Well, that's 80 jokes, and I was one of six writers. So you can imagine if I've done 80, I won't do the maths, but there's, <laughs> we're talking hundreds and hundreds of jokes, yeah. and only probably 30 make the final script, and probably only 20 make the cut. Yeah, and that's for half an hour of comedy, isn't it, a week? Half an hour. I mean, I don't definitely don't take my numbers as gospel, but I know I definitely yeah. wrote about 80 jokes, and that and only one of mine made the read-through. And then what do you do with the stuff that doesn't make it? Is that thrown away or do you sometimes find it? Oh, it's all on the floor. It's on the floor. See you later, alligator. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't find another use for any of those things later? Uh, Very good question. 
Yes, because my agent is trying to get me on other shows. If you feel like you wrote a good joke that didn't make it, then you can use it for your. I have like a portfolio of jokes, yeah. topical jokes. Yeah. And actually, my right now we're trying to get. I really want to write for late night. That's my dream right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to be a joke writer for like late night. So we're having to put together a packet, which is with all my jokes. So a couple from the news quiz or newsjack or whatever or breaking the news or some of those shows um I will put in my portfolio um and some topical jo- jokes just keep just stand the test of time like if it's about certain things you know they call them like evergreen jokes yeah. that ones that can just stay around and then um some you can't um but I've made a, you know my niche really is making fun of I don't I tend not to do politics only because I feel like other people are better than me right um so I tend to do like take the piss out of corporate corporations or like big companies going bust. That's mm-hmm. like my niche. Um, <laughs> fun. And then, or, then or take, yeah, there's an advantage in that, isn't it? Because if you're doing something a bit different, because I would guess for that topical stuff, the majority of people are going to submit politics and, and news stuff. Yeah. So most if, you, people if, do. if you're in a slightly different tack, that gives you a bit of a, well, just less competition, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess, with jokes I mean I I don't know like I think you know I think the best jokes are the ones I think I was explaining this to someone the other day the best jokes are just the ones that are the most have the most surprising punchline yeah um but but the most obvious one if you thought about it so you know it's like with a joke you've got to find that angle that no one will think of as a writer but then you've also it's got to be so relatable that when people hear it they go oh god of, of course, course. That's yeah yeah Einstein. um but just quickly about other writers rooms that mm. i've worked yeah, in sure. as well some have been like um, a lot higher pressure than others like um some have been a bit scary like when i went in for one news jack which is writing sketches uh that's definitely high pressure you got to turn around like two sketches within an hour and a half and then you get notes and you, you may or may not make the cut and that that to me was really scary as well but it's all great experience for for future jobs i guess but newsjack is the because i submitted to this this series this sure, is the one yeah. where members of the public can send stuff in isn't it and they'll and then they'll invite some people in i guess this is how it works they'll invite some people in each series into the writers room so yeah that's exactly how it works yeah it's interesting you said that's more pressured because you've got people there in the room who've literally perhaps never had anything commissioned or broadcast before. Well, you mean the other writers? Yeah. Uh, in, maybe. I mean, my experience, I've been in a few times. I, I've had five sketches on, mm-hmm. um, all in all. No, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. So um, I, yeah. The times that I've been in have been people who are either part of the bursary, so they're already their full time BBC, mm. or they're people that have already had a couple of sketches on. I think. Okay. Um, but no, that's not true. That's not true. The last time I was in, there was a guy who um, who had had a sketch on, and this was his first. But I think most people they invite have had a sketch on. Yeah. I, I, I see, yeah. So, sure, because there's a certain amount of people submitting stuff and then some will get used and then they'll bring in people. I guess there's an element of if they see someone's name come up each week and they're consistently doing good stuff, they might think about... That's 100% it. That, from my understanding, 
my understanding is that is exactly that that you your name keeps popping up you you keep uh submitting really good stuff you may not make the edit for one reason or another um there's a thousand reasons and I know it's so bloody cliche and people are sick of hearing it but I've been in the room and like there are thousand and one reasons why your sketch might not make it Mm -hmm. and I'll give you a little secret I'll tell you a little secret (laughs) sometimes your sketch makes it and they may forget to tell you that it was on the read through and maybe didn't make the cut just saying uh there were all ones that slipped through the net I'm not saying that's 100% true but I'll say that's 100% a lie if you get what I'm saying yeah um just don't take it personally. Like I remember I submitted one series um, or we submitted my writing partner and I, and we, we had one that made the read through and I don't think they told us or it might've been when I did one and they didn't tell us. And then I was in the writer's room and they said, Oh, your one of your jokes made the thing, but not the edit. And I was like, and I had no idea because usually they email you to let you know you made the read through. Mm. Um, so all I'm saying is there's a thousand reasons why you may not have heard, not just the fact that you didn't get one on. Um, but the main thing is is that everyone writes the same sketch. That's the real problem with News Jack. Yeah, because people are basing it on the news from that week, aren't they? And so that's Yeah, that's the so main much. problem, um, is is n- not being clear with the sketch point of view and just writing everyone writes the same sketch. Not everyone, but I think eighty percent of people they think of the same news story as I think you've got to dig a bit deeper and just sort mm. of look for that unusual story. But listen, I'm not an expert at all. I'm still learning. Um, but just I've been fortunate through just getting sketches on, working with the right people who are better than me, I guess, mm. and um, having that exposure a little bit. And I think that helps once you've got that bit of exposure because then people recommend you, I guess. Yeah, and they know that they can work with you. I mean, I always find this with any creative person. It's like it's like any job interview, really. You don't necessarily have to be the best one at the job, but you have to be good and somebody people can imagine spending time with. Like, you could yeah. write really funny stuff, but if they can't stand being in a room with you because you're a massive ego I know. or whatever, it's going to be hard to well, work I get together. Really, I, get, I do get really nervous, though. I do get really nervous, and I... Um, I worry constantly that I'm not going to be fun to be in the room with. Mm. So I can relate to that. And that is true. Mm. Um, But the good thing is about comedy writers, we're all a little bit, (laughs) we're all a little bit strange in our own beautiful way. (laughs) Um, So I think there's a little bit more leeway, but yeah, a hundred percent. There's much more likely to bring back the person. Yeah. Who's, who's fun to be around, who can also do jokes or whatever. hundred percent. Like, 100%. 100%. Uh, just going back to something you mentioned about writing and finding something that should be obvious in a joke, but you're the one who spotted it. There's a bit of an improv thing in there, isn't there? One of the, the cool pieces of improv advice I got was, is your obvious isn't necessarily somebody else's obvious. So sometimes you're on stage and the first thing that comes into your head to say, you're like, well, that's too obvious to say. And then you do it anyway and it gets a big laugh. But you're just like, well, that was so obvious. But of course, doesn't mean it was obvious in everybody else's head, I guess. Yeah, so with with joke writing, um, I mean, there's 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 several different ways you can write a joke. My my technique with topical jokes, I would say, um, I sort of do the the double meaning a lot of the time, which mm. is 
you can go both ways with the punchline. So the word, you kind of use the word and it can mean two different things. Mm. Um, and the problem with that is, as I said earlier, with comedy, confusion is the enemy. So if your audience is confused, you will not get a laugh, end of story. And that's why some people, some jokes will be told, especially in improv. Oh my gosh, like in improv, if it's confusing, no one will laugh. The simpler improv is, the funnier it is. The more relatable it is, the funnier it is. Yeah. The, fun, the, the funny comes from it being heightened and the character not knowing the difference, I guess. Like the character heightening it and just really relentlessly thinking that that point of view is the right point of view. That's what why improv is so funny. With joke writing, there's all these different techniques. But for me, I tend to do two or three like I do the twist at the end or I do the double meaning kind of thing um and so yes I think being obvious doesn't mean that it's easy I think that's a great point um when I say obvious I mean no way is it obvious it just means it's obvious once it's said yeah so like with the joke if you make a joke you write down like 30 to 35 things that you might associate with the thing that's funny in the joke. So whatever the headline is or whatever the joke is, you pick the thing you're going to make the fun of, make fun of, and then you write 35 things about that thing or whatever. This is just my process. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you choose the one that probably no one would think of, but is so relatable. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's, yeah, it's not seeing the 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 first thing you would necessarily think of, but it is yeah. on that list of it's clear. Yeah. It's about connecting the two things, the two worlds, but like you would never think of that unless you sat there and write, wrote that those lists about that thing. Mm. Um but it has to be relatable because if if people if the twist is not relatable it won't get a laugh or it won't get a like or it won't get a retweet or whatever you 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 form you're using um but i found the jokes that work for me are the ones that people can relate to it's Mm. weird it's so weird as much as you have had stuff uh, broadcast with the bbc you still have the mindset that you're going to make your own stuff anyway and if people pick up on it great and if not it still exists as a thing. So you mentioned that oh, yeah. some of your stuff has come through people seeing your work on Twitter, which which is great because you've done that for yourself and then it's led to something. 100%. I think I think 80% of it is is your work. I think um, back to what I was saying earlier about success. Mm. Uh, the real success is in how much work you're turning out, really. That's what I, I think. Um, and how much work you're doing and streamlining your focus is my advice always. Um, most of all for myself, I guess, because it's the only person that's listening when I'm <laughs> sitting in a room I, on my own at the moment. But um, I think it's 1000% the way forward. I think that your work is, is doing the work and putting yourself out there is the absolutely, it's the only way to do it. Um, the stuff with BBC and jokes and sketches and all of that, for me, unbelievable. Absolutely love it. Dream come true. Are you kidding me? Like to walk into the BBC and get paid to do it mm-hmm. um, or get asked to come to a writer's room. Oh, my, I was just like, are you kidding? Wow. Um, but it but it will come in dips and whatever that saying is. Dips and what is it? Dips and waves. Yeah. Swings and roundabouts. 
it swings in roundabouts. And one year I might be in the writer's room, one year I might next year, this year, yeah. as we know, I won't be in a room. Next year might not ever not get invited. Um, but the one thing I and, and it's and when it happens, amazing and it's helped my C V and it's helped me get an agent and great. However, it is not the be all and end all for me. Absolutely mm. not. It is a lovely cherry on top and it's it makes me feel great because I've worked hard for it. But the real work is creating it for yourself because no one else out there can do what you can do and the work that you can create. Um, and so d- doing your own stuff is the only thing we're in control of. And if we can, if we can like face the fact that being a creative, most of the stuff is out of our control, which is what makes us miserable. I think if we can regain that control by churning out our own stuff and putting ourselves out there, I think inevitably one will be happier as artists and two, something will happen. Something, somebody will see your stuff. I'm, I'm living proof of it. The rest of it about people buying it and all of that is neither here nor there. I've had things, you know, my, like I say, I had an option fell through last year for a big production company um but you know I did the work and you just got to move on but definitely your own work is a hundred percent a huge yeah part of it yeah I love that and I wonder if there was some element of that that made you not happy as an actor but happier as a writer because acting you are very much at the mercy of somebody else's somebody else's creativity and and you could be as brilliant and do as well as you can but it doesn't mean that they're going to use you all whereas when you're making your own stuff it's up to you yeah I think I think yeah I think there's a lot of there's many reasons why I really struggled with acting um but I would say that that's definitely right like one of the was that I was in Los Angeles and I had to do an American accent and they wanted me to be a certain way and I felt I was somebody else I felt like I was being pinned down to something that I wasn't and um but I also didn't think I was that good I didn't think I was that good of an actress I really didn't I I would watch myself and be like I I hated watching myself um hated it and and I didn't think that was healthy for me whereas with writing I don't think I'm the best writer in the world, but I don't think I'm awful. And I don't, mm. I don't hate what I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it didn't make me happy being an actress. And like you said, there's many, there's a lot of psychology to it, probably, I'm sure. But with writing, I don't have any emotion attached to it. I don't have like, if you don't like my work, I don't think you don't like me. I just think you don't yeah. like my work and that's okay. Yeah. Whereas with acting, it was like, you hate me. You think I'm ugly. You think I'm fat. Mm. And so he's performing on not on the cards now, or is the oh no, I love perform? perform. No, I love performing. I love improv, um, but that's it. Like I would love to do more and more improv, but um, I don't really have any desire to be in front of the camera. Is there an element of performing your own stuff though to give it a a showcase or not? Your your writing? Not anymore. Um, I um yeah I I just don't have any desire to kind of put myself in that position of um I guess I just want to be the best writer I can be mm-hmm. and I think 
when I'm the performer, I it takes me out of it. So for me, my goal is just to be the best at that. So um, and not to get confused with being the actor. So I kind of just have it in the. I've just left it in the 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 laps of the gods or the arms of the gods and if people ask me to be in stuff like I will do it um which by the way doesn't ever happen but let's say someone wanted me to be in something I would um and I would definitely perform improv again but I don't really have any desire to be in front of the camera anymore Mm, it's interesting because I watched push earlier today your short film oh yeah and I really enjoyed it I thought it was great but it's that thing of it's because I'm guessing that was your writing partner in that with you as well. Yes. So it's that it's a self-contained unit. And I just thought, because I come as much from the music world and at the moment it's all about, you know, as much as you might want your record signing record label and your radio plays and all that. Actually, it's quite possible now to do everything yourself, have a small audience, but quite a supportive audience and kind of that that's okay. Um, and I'd imagine that's sort of the same with the performing and the writing world, but you just have to do everything yourself, don't you? That's the, yeah. if you haven't got the desire to do that, I guess it's tricky. No, I think, I think, I, I think it is a great thing to do it. I think that really you should do that. You should write and you should perform your own stuff if that's what you want to do. Mm. Um, and it's a way to showcase your talent. Absolutely. Um, I think that, like you said, there's, there's so many ways to make that happen now and so many bloody things on your computer that can make it look better than a bloody studio Mm. um and that's great but I um I just don't and I'm not saying it's forever it's just right now I um don't enjoy acting and actually push the short film that you've just mentioned that's probably the that was it for me that was the last time I I have performed and acted in not performed but acted in something and I really struggled with that I really struggled with that short film um looking at myself it was very hard for me um I didn't like how I looked and I didn't I felt like I looked really just awful and I was really insecure about that so it took a lot for me to put it out there onto Twitter and and Facebook um, and it was actually the short film that it just kind of made me feel like I didn't want to put myself in front of the camera at the moment. I'm not saying forever, mm. um, but just at the moment, I want to separate the two because I've had quite a big relationship with acting in the past. Mm. So um, for me, it's like I'm almost taking a break so I can focus on the writing. But absolutely, like performing and writing is the way forward. Um, but for me, I can't do that at the moment because it just takes me too much out of it. And I, I just know so many wonderful actors. I'm like, I'd much rather see them do it, but it just might be where I am emotionally just might be, you know, but it definitely is the way forward if you want to perform. It sounds like in that case, then it's actually doing the opposite of what I said about it being a a way to push your work forward if it's actually getting in the way <laughs> of you wanting you know if you are struggling whether you're going to put something out because of those issues then actually it's becoming a bit of a barrier to writing it exactly and that's why i decided not to do it anymore and and the pilot that we're developing based on that short film oh great. Um, okay. i've totally removed myself from playing the character whatsoever um but you know what in two years time if it gets made 
and they say Natalie audition I might be in a different place emotionally yeah um but you know I have a big long history with acting I've I've been in many things tv and film um that that caused me a lot of weird things and all of that kind of stuff which is a whole nother story but um I think for me just yeah emotionally um it splitting the focus just didn't or doesn't work for me um and and it did get in the way and I just like being behind the scenes it's strange it's like I almost don't want to be seen it's weird but it's great though because you know as you were saying earlier that you it's having that focus on one thing and being known for one thing or a couple of things might be an advantage I think that's where I'm at right now um I think that's for me, um, acting doesn't make me happy. It doesn't bring me a lot of joy. Mm. Um, and it makes me feel insecure. And writing does the exact opposite for me. It's mad, isn't it? It's like relationships. You can go out with someone who you really fancy and really like, but they just don't make you feel that good. Whereas yeah. somebody else does. And it, you know, it's hard to know even why it is. That it's just, it's just Perhaps it's all coming from you, really. I don't know. but It's a whole psychology, I think. And I... Um, yeah, I like I say, not forever, but who who knows? Well, that's um, the the other great thing, isn't it? Is that this stuff can change, and as you were saying yeah. before, you're in control of all these things. So it's it's up to you, which is one of the great as as, uh, as hard as it is to be a creative, and as many challenges as there are, you have got this freedom where you you kind of can do what you want to an extent. You don't have to do what someone else asks you to do. Well, that and that's and that's like for anyone that's listening. Like for me, you know. I, I, for someone that does get asked from time to time about being a creative or being a writer, mm. I think that that's what the magic is, uh, you know, of nowadays is that you are more in control Absolutely. and there is no one else like you. Um, and there is no answer. Like, I think people want answers of yeah. like how to be a writer or how to be an actor. And like, the answer is not what a lot of people want to hear which is working without recognition for a while um but it it I've never not seen it pay off I've never not seen it pay off like anyone that's consistent and keeps working and narrows their voice and finds their voice mm-hmm. I honestly have never not seen it pay off like the, the successful people I know that literally is what they did um, and back to what I said earlier about splitting my focus, I think that's probably more, that's what it is with the acting, the writing, it's just mm. too much for me. Um, but I think that that's what the wonderful is, that thing is that we live in a world now that we can create those things. Um, but people just get so lost and confused on where they should be going, what they should be doing, and it stops them from creating. Mm. Um, and actually creating will help you go and get into that direction or get you recognition. So it's just... You know, you've got to realise, like, as much as it is about what you do and all of that, if you want to make a bit of money from it, you do kind of have to find a niche or whatever. And there are ways to do it if you put yourself out there. Actually, sorry, I will say putting yourself out there. That's a huge thing. Mm -hmm. You've got to put yourself out there and you've got to just go, Okay, here we go. Take a deep breath and then just go and eat some spaghetti and have a glass of wine and forget about it. <laughs> well, tell us a bit more about that then. In what kind of context do you mean? Which part? What just To put yourself out yourself there. Out so there. What, what does that look like for, or has that yeah, been I can't believe I haven't. Yeah, I can't believe I haven't mentioned that because actually that's, for me, that is the main thing. So once you've done the work, once you've done the work, 
um, a lot of people are too scared to put themselves out there. Mm. And yes, you, you are doing the work for yourself, but at the end of the day, we're all doing this. We all love a bit of recognition and we all do love a bit of validation. Whether or, whether or not that's right, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But we are all looking for validation. Everyone loves to get a like on Twitter or Facebook. It's just it's just our human condition yeah. at this point in our lives. Um, and you can get obsessed with it or you, you cannot, whatever you decide. But we do crave validation. And I think people denying that is bullshit and so I think it's good to go you know what I do want to get some recognition that's okay like I said when I was 20 I wanted to be a famous uh film star like that's Mm -hmm. what I wanted because I wanted recognition and I still do of course I do I love recognition who doesn't but um putting yourself out there is very painful like when you're a child and you're sitting in a classroom and you put your hand up and you Mm -hmm. say something and the whole class laughs at you it's Mm -hmm. mortifying and I think we learn, like, from a very young age not to put ourselves out there because it's painful, especially as a kid when you're, like, trying to impress your peers and you want yeah. to be popular and cool. And so I think from a very young age, we get that kind of, like, I don't want to put myself there. I don't want to look silly. I don't want to fail. Hum, well, the only <laughs> success I've ever received in my life is is for a direct result of failing and putting myself out there. Um, I have not like everything that like Twitter, like uh, improv, uh, comedy sketches, comedy competitions, failure after failure after embarrassment. Um, but it's embarrassment for what? It's not embarrassing. They don't care. Mm. They they admire you for doing the work. First of all, no one cares. No one's also embarrassed for you ever. No one's embarrassed for you. People are inspired. Believe me, like. People admire people that do the work and there's so much shame and embarrassment wrapped around putting work out there and getting rejected. But actually, if we try and change our mindset to um, actually, this is so bloody amazing that I'm putting myself out there and realize that these people are looking at you like, wow, I wish I was like you. Like, again, I do get messages from people that say, oh, I wish I was brave or I wish I could twit tweet or I wish I could do this and I just say you can Mm. um I'm still feeling the shame and embarrassment I'm not just sitting here like not feeling any shame but what I've realized is it's the only way I'm gonna get find out who I am as an artist what works what doesn't work and just know that those people are not like looking at you like oh you're so oh that's so embarrassing people are like oh I wish I could do that Mm. um you have to put yourself out there like you have to and you have to feel the shame and the pain it gets easier and easier I promise you the first 20 times are awful and then once you've got past that 20 minutes uh, 20 minutes <laughs> once you've got past those 20 times of feeling utter shame yeah um and embarrassment and pain um it gets easier because you realize that you are not your art you can separate yourself And you're just this person that's trying to get better and people just love it. Mm. And so putting yourself out there, um, provided that it's, you know, safe and content and it's not just putting yourself out there just for fun and doing, you know, strange things. But putting yourself out there, allowing the world to see your work is the only way that any of these people that you look up to they've all done that by the way 
like all of them have put themselves out there to the point of excruciating like pain that they feel that no one liked their work and then the next time they did it it got easier the next time and then suddenly people go hang on a sec this person keeps putting themselves out there I'm going to recognize them and they all failed a load of times as well before they had the, the successful thing yeah but people want the answer people want me or people or books to tell them yeah. not me but like people want people to tell them like there, there's a strategy that you can like you know there's a strategy to it there is no strategy it is failing 101 times mm. and putting yourself out there and doing the work and literally there's no other strategy there's no other strategy you cannot avoid it like I said anyone that I know that's successful shows up does the work um and has failed and looked silly mm. and changing your relationship with with looking silly and realizing that people actually admire you more than like I don't get embarrassed for people do you when they put out work no not no you don't um but certainly as a performer and stuff I can think back to things that have happened and it's a bit like if you have a like you mentioned improv shows where there's maybe not a massive audience or if I do a music gig and there's not loads of people I still have this stupid voice going see you look bad now people people who are here are going to think oh look he's not very successful but experience has shown it's the complete fucking opposite that the people in the room are like where is everybody else you know yeah he, this person's great we love it we're going to become his champion and actually that can lead to great stuff sometimes but it's like you still have this feeling of hosting a party that nobody turns up to. I think it's like yeah, yeah and it's a, it's a sh it's the shame feeling. Yeah, it is, and and it's it's feeling a sense of shame about who you are and what you are doing with your life, and so that shame will stop you from doing it again. Um, and that's okay. That's fine if you don't want to put yourself out there and feel that shame. Like that's a hundred percent okay. But if you want to be successful in the way that however you want to define success you will 100% feel shame um until you like you know you get experience with it and then mm -hmm. you start going, fuck it I don't give a shit what you think and obviously there's that fine line with like being arrogant as well mm -hmm. um but you do have to realize like that that is the process of it. It's painful putting your whole heart out there, yeah. but you have to realize that even though it feels like your whole heart, people aren't seeing your whole heart out there. Uh, people are just seeing like, Oh wow, that's so cool that they're doing that. They're not seeing what you're feeling and just don't get that mixed up. Like they're not seeing how painful and vulnerable this is for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah. Great. Okay, Natalie, can you tell us where we can um, find out more about you and see some of your work? Oh, that's so nice. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Where do, what do people usually say? <laughs> well, it depends who they are and what they do. I get, for you, it's probably the Twitter would be a good place to keep in touch. I say, with. yeah, you know, I'm, that's, that's good. Cause on my Twitter, I have everything there. Okay. And I, um, yeah, I don't even know what my Twitter handle is though. <laughs> um let me have a look <laughs> well I guess it's my name you never tweet yourself do you that's the thing no I don't know I think it's Nats Antonia so it's N-A-T-S and then Antonia um yes I'd is. love yeah Nats Nats Antonia okay I would love I would love for you to come and see me over there love it I would love it and I if you want to DM me and ask me questions, I have my DMs so that they're open mm -hmm. because I will 
want to do whatever I can to help people who are just starting out because I'm very early on still in my career um and I'm where I am because people open their dms so I'm my dms are open if anyone wants to ask me anything about being a writer that's great that's really cool that you do that and of course the first thing is if people want to be a writer write the the it's it's right that is right yes <laughs> right Just is right. right right is right and um yeah that's actually above everything i've said that is the most important thing because without that you do not have anything to show people <laughs> natalie that's great thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me Anytime. Thank you for asking such great questions. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. See you next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers podcast. If you could subscribe to the podcast, share it, like it, comment on it, review it, tell all your friends about it, all of those things would be fantastic because the more that people do that, the more that new people get a chance to hear the podcast, join the community and enjoy the content that we're putting out. You can find me at robertlanemusic.co.uk and I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as Robert Lane Music. Please get in touch. Let me know if you're enjoying the programmes and who you think I should talk to in the future. Thank you. Till next time, goodbye.